Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie, brought to you by Killer Podcasts and Evergreen Podcasts Network. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. It's the show that takes you inside the unbelievable, the unexplainable, the macabre, and the bizarre, and tries to find an answer. Hello, Caroline. Hi. Um, This week, we are talking about Bigfoot, and we aren't doing it alone, are we? Nope. In fact, he's behind us. Yeah, you can hear uh, Poe scratching around. I'm not editing this out. Uh, we, let's let's just let him be heard uh, because he is sort of the... He's Littlefoot. He's the third character, I think we can agree, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let it be known. Anyway, uh, we are very excited this week to be teaming up with our friends over at New York Mystery Machine. Adam Mace and Christina Marinelli are the wonderful hosts of that podcast, which you should be, obviously, you should be listening to anyway. Absolutely. But if you're not already, then certainly this week, go over there and check out the first part of this sort of two-part conversation, I would say, um, on New York Mystery Machine's feed. Yeah, so we talked about Bigfoot in New York. Uh, over there, and that episode dropped this Monday over on their page or, and feed and so on. And so this week, they're guesting on our episode talking about Bigfoot in New England. Um, yep. It, we had a ton of fun with Adam and Christina, as we always do. Mm-hmm. Um, if you enjoyed this conversation, I recommend going back in our archives to the um, Bridgewater UFO episode it, oh no hudson, hudson valley triangle yeah. yeah bridgewater was not uh, a new york story no, no so sure. it had to have been the hudson valley yes um hudson valley ufos we talked about with adam and christina last year it's fun to keep the tradition going this year absolutely so yeah go subscribe to them if you haven't already and enjoy the show and stop that shaming bigfoot obviously obviously All right, and now we are here with New York Mystery Machine hosts Adam Mace and Christina Marinelli. Hi, guys. Hello. How are you? It's been so long. (laughs) Too long. It's been roughly uh, two to three days. Uh, Listener, if you haven't heard uh, the last episode of Adam and Christina's podcast, um, go listen to it because it's got two of your favorite, I presume, hosts uh, guesting (laughs) on their episode about Bigfoot in New York. And this is kind of a two-parter, a second part, a sequel to that podcast. Yeah, we said a spiritual sibling, just like <laughs> uh, Adam and Christina's show is for us. We, you know, we do all over kind of stories, but we love to focus on New England stories. And Adam and Christina always handle really New York-based stuff. And I'm from New York. I went to college in New York. Both of us did. So we love hearing all about that, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see it. <laughs> All right. So what are we what are we talking about today? Today, Caroline, we are talking about New England Bigfoots. New England Bigfoot sightings. Um, the kind of just we're trying to get a sense of the presence of Bigfoot in New England. Uh I think we all think of the Pacific Northwest first and foremost when we're talking squatches. And uh <laughs> And of course, you've got your regional variants. You've got the skunk ape in the southeastern United States. If, if you talk, talk about a Florida Bigfoot, that is a, a skunk ape. And the, the, I mean, the smell is a big uh, focused upon part of Bigfoots are often smelly. But in Florida, it seems like that's like mostly what they focus on. Uh, is, <laughs> 
Well, because you, you got the whole kind of swamp and heat aspect really working Ooh. for you there. So I think it must be so overpowering that it just becomes the story. But it's not the Bigfoot's <laughs> fault that he lives that that he lives in such a stinky like swamp place. I mean, he's no, just taking it, on the smell. I've told my parents <laughs> the same thing, but you know. And this is another. <laughs> This is another area where people keep judging the Bigfoot for his habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, he Every can't time. help where he lives in, especially, you know, regionally, he has to take what he can get. So while well, in the Pacific Northwest, the Bigfoot may be hanging out in the treetops of some, you know, uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years old um, redwoods or, or mm-hmm. something. Over here, um, even even here in the Northeast, it's a lot of swamps. That guy, mm-hmm. This guy's living in a lot of swamps and marshes mm-hmm. if he's in Connecticut. Um, do we have a lot of swamps? Yeah, in <laughs> Connecticut we do. <laughs> really? In, really? In I'm just like, are there are lots of swamps in Connecticut. In Connecticut, we have a lot of estuary. Yeah. Huh. Oh. Wetlands. Uh, and, yeah, wetlands, and that's where the. <laughs> oh, I guess I don't think of it as swamps. You know, I think of it as just like damp areas, which is <laughs> like a bunch of. <laughs> yeah, damp, damp areas. But but so you're gonna. <laughs> My point is, you're going to deal with a smellier, a smellier Bigfoot. I think it's just, uh, it's just what it is. He's living in amongst the decay here. Stop stink shaming Bigfoot. Stop stink shaming Bigfoot. I don't want to. I'm tired of hearing it, Carrie. Tired. I'm tired (laughs) of it. Uh, In Adam and Christina's last episode, where we talked about Bigfoot in New York, we talked about a a particular wild man of the woods uh, that wore trousers. Right, Christina? Mm -hmm. He wore pants. Yes, he rapped on the window of a school building. Well, thank God he was wearing pants then. But he was was wearing wearing pants. pants. (laughs) That was key. So no, like, sex offender shit here. Right, (laughs) no. This is, is is, the the Bigfoot is a gentle, he's a gentle beast. It's like, hello. He he knew to cover it up when he was going to say hi to the kids, and I appreciate (laughs) that. Top of the morning. (laughs) Always pure intentions. Um, Just to kind of kick off our discussion here, uh, Adam and Christina, do you have any personal connections to to the squatch any uh, mm. uh whether it's look i i we've been talking about bigfoot uh to give the audience a peek behind the curtain for like an hour now so i hope by now you <laughs> told me if you if you had any sightings in your past but uh do you this have any, one time <laughs> any bigfoot media you love any uh any connections to the big guy the big no, weirdly guy. i don't i don't have many bigfoot connections my mother however mama nelly um has been diving deep for some some time now into the Bigfoot alien connection. There are some documentaries that she has been asking me to watch for the better part of four months. I love how your mom is like the person who's like, I have some stuff I'd love you like just to read, <laughs> just some material that we're really interested, you know, just to read, you know, read up on. And yeah. it's intensely yeah, yeah, yeah. Bigfoot related. Yeah. <laughs> Bigfoot alien related. Um so it. she's she's the reigning family expert on on this. I always I like thought it I always thought about Bigfoot when I was younger. Um, I you was in always scouts. thought about Bigfoot when you were younger. <laughs> always. No, when I did think about Bigfoot, it was always when I was younger. I guess that's the I structure see. of it. Now I don't okay. think about him at all. <laughs> but I was in scouts. And so like we camped a bunch. And so like we would always talk about like the idea of seeing Bigfoot in the forest because we were in, we were in the forest so often for camping. And like that was all always I felt like when you're like doing like you know ghost stories and things like creepy things at night like that's i think always where I think my brain went to it's like oh we're gonna see a bigfoot like you're gonna mm-hmm. see I, the bigfoot walking through the forest i appreciate that your brain went to bigfoot when you're in the forest when i'm in forests the few times i've been in forests my brain goes to this is where the murderer lives 
I don't could know why. Bigfoot. That... Who knows? Could be Bigfoot. Not not, not from what we know about him, though. He seems pretty. Not cool. my Bigfoot. Yeah, he would just <laughs> whistle. At us. Not my Bigfoot. <laughs> He'd just whistle and go on his merry way. Don't want to be bothered. Uh, growing up camping in the woods of southwestern Connecticut, um, Bigfoot didn't come up so much as, as we've talked about on the pod before, Carrie, uh, the Melonheads were southwestern oh, yeah. Connecticut's. That's uh, our local cryptid of lore. Bigfoot yes. flavor. Ooh. Um, I had never heard about the, them until I listened to your show. And I, was, I remember listening to your show and I was like, I text Carrie like the next day. I was like, Melonheads? Uh, yeah. Welcome to Connecticut, bitch. <laughs> we got Melonheads. Yeah, these you you know how it is, Christina. They 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 totter around the woods with big encephalitic heads, and <laughs> and they eat children who who wander off the the scout trails. You know, in reality, it, it was probably kind of a just like kind of a racist thing, or, or like oh. just othering of people with mental illness. Maybe yes. more than racism. Yeah. So, but well, this got know. sad real quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it it does. Welcome to Connecticut. Welcome to. <laughs> Yeah, she gets sad. <laughs> and we it it does go to show you we should we should be careful as we peel back the layers of a fun cryptid story or conspiracy theory for that matter. It's like so often you get to to real ickiness right below all the all the fun layers. Mm-hmm. Um, but not yeah. so much the case with Bigfoot, which is nice. Except unless people are shooting at him, right? Which just seems to be a thing, which at least in New York. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we'll run into a few of those here too. Ah, um, I wanted to run through a little quick Bigfoot history. Uh, first, because I thought it was interesting that the name Bigfoot. Now, listen, Bigfoot taps into something really old. I think we can agree, right? There's uh, sort of you can hear on our um, appearance on New York Mystery Machine this week. You can hear a little bit about the uh, legends of the wild man that stretch back into European art and folklore going back into like the 1500s, I think, and earlier. Mm-hmm. You'll see him little in the corners of little heraldic uh, uh, mm-hmm. emblems mm-hmm. and stuff just holding down the side of a banner. It'll just be a little Sasquatch. And it's like, what's he doing there? <laughs> Love him. <laughs> Um, but they certainly didn't call him that. But then you get kind of a melding, I think, with uh, early American settlers with some indigenous myths from from these parts that that you ultimately you end up with an ape man uh, legend that seems really persistent um, and has its roots all the way back there. But we don't get the name Bigfoot until 1958, which surprised me. Oh, that's um, pretty late. Yeah. Considering how simple and obvious the name is, it took them that long to come up with it. He's got big feet. <laughs> In 58, uh, a bulldozer operator named Jerry Crew found a set of, uh, this is in California, he said he found a set of 16-inch long humanoid footprints near his work site um, a couple successive days in a row, like something was milling around with 16-inch hmm. you know, Shaquille O'Neal-sized feet. Um, and the guys at the logging company called the mysterious culprit, the Bigfoot, and they would, mm. you know, if something went missing, a can of paint goes missing Bigfoot on the work site, they go, oh, Bigfoot took the, uh, took the paint cans or, or what have you. Um, interestingly, in 2002, the family of a deceased coworker of Jerry Crew, a guy named Ray Wallace, uh, after Wallace had died, his family revealed that they had found a set of large carved wooden feet. In his basement. And apparently Ray had told them on his deathbed that he had done this whole thing as a bit. He had worked deathbed. He had worked at the uh, at the logging company and he had he had done all the all the footprints himself. He was inspired by a guy named Rant Mullins. Great name. 
Great okay. name. All timer. <laughs> Rant Mullins claimed responsibility in the 80s for a hoax that he said he perpetrated in 1924. Damn. Around an incident that came to be known as, I love this, I adore this, the Battle of Ape Canyon. <laughs> I've heard of Ape Canyon. Yeah. Um, that is an incredible, incredible name. The Battle of Ape Canyon. How it's not a movie yet, I I, I can't imagine. I would see that. I would watch I that. would go to the premiere. Absolutely. In full ape regalia. In full regalia. <laughs> Um, on July 16th, 1924, the newspaper, The Oregonian, reported that there had been a violent encounter in a quarry near Mount St. Helens between a group of miners and what they had claimed was a group of ape men who started hurling rocks down the chasm at them and uh, while, oh. while grunting in their guttural ape voices. Mm. <laughs> Um, the like kind of local flavor explanation for this in later years, there was like a pamphlet that was circulating in the fifties that said that this was actually just YMCA campers <laughs> who were wandering <laughs> at the top of the gorge. Right. And there's miners in the bottom and the kids were just kind of throwing rocks, uh, not knowing that there were people at the bottom of the gorge, but the miners just are suddenly Thought being, they were all hairy apes pelted with pumice <laughs> stones. And then they, they heard the voices of the children, but distorted by the cave. Into into horrible ape voices. It feels like one little detail is missing here because I don't really see the correlation. <laughs> the correlation. They really did not like kids. Yes. And this is just oh, their apes. perception. <laughs> now, Rant Mullins said that it was actually him who had done this hoax. He and he and some buddies had throw, thrown the rocks at the guys and done done the ape sounds. And later, in nearby Gifford Pinchot National Forest in the 1930s, he said he carved a pair of big wooden feet and use them to scare away berry pickers in the forest. I don't know if he just wanted the best berries. It's very <laughs> right. the poo like behavior. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's happening there. Um, but yeah, so Rant Mullins claims to to have done the, those footprints. And then uh, this this guy, Ray Wallace, claimed that he got the idea from Rant and uh, uh, just stomped around the work site. And, and that's where we get the name Bigfoot from is from these these big old wooden feet this guy made. Hmm. Wow. Isn't that interesting? I'm I'm impressed and disappointed at the same time. But we know because we just talked about a bunch of these stories and we will talk about a bunch more of them that sightings of ape men in the US across the US uh go back much much further than the 1920s. It's true. It's just, you know, in that that 50s probably hoaxed incident is where we get the fun name from. Fair. But uh even here in Connecticut and again this isn't the the area we would maybe associate most with Bigfoots. But even here in Connecticut, we have legends going back into the 19th century at least uh, with stories of wild men and ape men in the woods. Mm. And it was in the CT Insider that I found. By the way, this was linked through, um, what was it? The Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, BFRO. Okay, yeah, the BFRO, yep. Um, a BFRO Connecticut page linked me to this uh, CT Insider article, but with a tone of like, um, with a tone of, of like, this so-called journal. This I, oh, they call him a citified journalist. Oh, fake news. <laughs> they're, they're claiming fake news. Okay. Oh, no. uh, the, the citified journalist, and, and they say that he's um, 
you know, like basically say that he's being snobby when he when he points out there's no evidence for for, for Bigfoot stuff. But they go, but he these are it's a good repository of sources in spite of himself or, or something like that. So read carefully at your own by this liberal. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> this cuck. So they uh, they said. <laughs> so they sent me to uh, uh, the Connecticut Insider and. The Winstead Evening Citizen, way back on August 27th, 1895, reported that the town selectman of Winstead, Riley Smith, described in the paper as a man of, quote, undoubted pluck and nerve who talks but little. Hmm. So strong, silent type, unrattleable. This man claimed to the Winstead Evening Citizen that he saw a large man stark naked and covered with hair all over his body, run out of a clump of bushes. Uh, Smith, and remember, it's a town selectman. This is a uh, a reputable source. He said he'd been out picking blueberries with his loyal bulldog, Ned. How quaint. How quaint. I love Ned. And Ned was in the bushes. I don't know how a bulldog helps with picking blueberries particularly. They don't... By being cute, It's not a pig... They can't pick. My dog doesn't even like blueberries. <laughs> maybe maybe it's like like pigs that snuffle for truffles and like they're just I don't know. This is good. And... Yeah, he's a berry <laughs> hound. This is good. I like this. Huckleberry hound. Um, <laughs> Ned was off in the brush looking for blueberries or whatever it is he was there to do. Um, <laughs> he finds them and he just points, right? Um <laughs> And Ned came over crying and shaking with his tail between his legs, something having freaked the hell out of him in the woods. Oh, no. And then behind the dog, said Riley Smith, came sprinting this nude, hair-covered man. Sorry, that's my Uncle Vinny. I will (laughs) tell him to chill out. Well, when your Uncle Vinny saw Riley Smith, Smith said he cried out (laughs) and ran off the other direction. Okay. Uh, Smith said well, both hmm. both he and Ned were too stunned to react. <laughs> but he described him as a wild, hairy man of the woods, about six feet in height. He said, the man's hair was black and hung down long on his shoulders, and his body was thickly covered with black hair. The man was remarkably agile, and to all appearance was a muscular, brawny man. A man against whom any ordinary man would stand little chance. <laughs> um, so he looked like a tough guy. He didn't look like someone <laughs> Riley Smith wanted to get started with. Uh, and- the the blueberry picking guy who was that guy. <laughs> He's a town selectman. He's a man of authority in this community. <laughs> okay. I do appreciate that there is a thread of berry picking throughout these Bigfoot stories. A there was a, a berry picking one in, in New York. We have berry picking here. There was a berry picking wasn't you just said at the top, right? That there's a berry picking out west. Apparently, Bigfoot, big berry fan. Now, I wonder. I wonder if he'd be less threatened if Bigfoot was if the, if the, the man was wearing pants. That's true. Mm. Had Bigfoot been wearing trousers? If there was no trousers, we'd be like, oh, he maybe I can take him in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty focused on the nudity part. The nudity. Well, maybe, yeah, he maybe what was whatever was yeah. going on was like, you know what? I I can't handle this. I can't handle this. <laughs> um, I mean, you can imagine the sensation this caused in local papers because yeah. uh, we know from covering um, all kinds of different stories, a, a 
in a small community like Winstead, you know, just a a, a sensational, a mildly sensational crime will grip, you know, the, <laughs> the someone the seeing you. a moose. You someone know? seeing a moose. <laughs> That's going to stop traffic for a few days. For sure. Um, but but so is so a wild man, of course, uh, brought out these stories perpetuate themselves. And so stories mm. of hairy wild men began spreading through the local papers in Winstead like wildfire. Um, there was a local farmer named George Hoskins who claimed that he saw a Bigfoot lifting two chickens out of his hen house and running running away over the <laughs> over the ridge. That's very that's, cute. That's a great image. A that image. is one step removed from like stealing the pie that's cooling mm-hmm. on, on someone. Yes. <laughs> it's real like a uh, uh, train hobo behavior. Yes. Yes. Uh, and the chief of police. So we have another authority figure here. Uh, the chief of police, Steve Wheeler, said he, which doesn't sound like an 1895 name. Steve Wheeler was no. the chief of police last year. Right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, he said he spotted the wild man and gave chase. <gasps> but he lost the creature's trail when it ran into a swamp. Ah, you see Classic. the swamp. There's that swamp. That's where the swamp is. The home That's of the, the Connecticut uh, uh, skunk. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, a reward, a cash reward, was offered for the wild man's capture. I couldn't find an amount, um, mm. but apparently, a 100-man armed search party again would spend weeks combing the woods for the for the beast. Well, then I the, the, the reward was enough. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there was an exact hundred man search party in the New York episode as well. Yes. What is with yes. this? I um, also really love the the idea that he 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 lost Bigfoot when he goes into a swamp. Now, I will say I've never been in a swamp. Can't say. I imagine just, it. The statement comes out of literally no experience. <laughs> I imagine when you're in a swamp. I don't know. I imagine I imagine them as eerie, quiet places, except for like maybe the sound of swamp birds and. <laughs> Classic swampers. It's classic swampers. So I have to imagine that if this this creature goes like bounding into the swamp, you would hear a splash, 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 splash. So did he not like? Could he not tell which direction the splash was coming from and follow it, hmm. or was he like, mm, I'm not going in that swamp? No, I think he said he lost its trail. So I, 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 I it could go either way, I suppose. But. Hmm. I also I picture a swamp as being more op- certainly more open than a forest, right? Uh, so, yeah. so I don't know. I don't know. I think you didn't want to go in the swamp. Well, let me say this too, and I'll touch on this again in a moment. This, this goes into the high strangeness of it all that goes along with Bigfoot stories a lot. But um, a lot of Bigfoot stories do kind of end with people chasing the Bigfoot through the woods and then getting somewhere, and the Bigfoot's gone. I don't know where it went. That's true. I lost its trail. Um. Which is, you know, it's it's just another cool, weird. He got zapped out of existence. He mm-hmm. got zapped into a spaceship or he hitched a ride on his best friend, Champy, as we discussed last episode. <laughs> yes. It's it's already it's weird Champy. to have such a big, hidden, large animal, but to have it Champy, disappear, whatever you, you try to find it. <laughs> he summons Champy. I love I'm that. also curious what the... Do we think there's maybe connections if there's if this Bigfoot hanging out in swamps with swamp monsters? Like, is it mm. are they like one and the same? Is it is this this is a Bigfoot who just hangs out in the swamp and I sometimes mean, the, goes swimming? The Rougarou, <laughs> which I think is ha- is ah. kind of like a a werewolf esque monster that is very swampy. So I mean, you know, that's only a hop, skip, and a jump away from a Bigfoot. 
it's That's, big and hairy and in a swamp. Yeah, but wolfy instead of apey. Just saying. The Could Ru- be a whole cadre of them. The Rougarou is good. We, <laughs> we, we did a, a Wolfman podcast. Uh, and it was fun. Thank you. The listener, he should check that out. <laughs> Weird. Okay. Now, at the, t- <laughs> at the time of this initial Wild Man of Winstead sighting, uh, the Hartford Sunday Globe claimed that the Wild Man may have been, this is speculation on the newspaper's part, and no corroboration was ever offered, <laughs> but the newspaper speculated that it may have been escaped mental patient Arthur Beckwith. They even gave the guy a name. I was going to say that's real specific. Who the Sunday Globe claimed had freed himself from a local asylum to harmly, harmlessly walk the countryside naked. Is oh. that a real person? No idea. They, okay. they offered no corroboration. And this was, you know, a hundred years ago. Interesting. Wow. I, I love the specificity and that there's no corroboration, but they're like, it was, it could be this person, this very specific person. We're just going to smear this definitely real person. Right. Name. I mean, it, it, it could be. It could be. Okay. <laughs> it could be. And uh, it could be anything. Shortly thereafter, though, the sightings started to die off. The sighting stories started to die off. And that was it for more than 80 years. Oh, wow. Until the Winstead Wildman reemerged. <gasps> In July 1972, the Hartford Current reported that two young men had seen a strange ape-like creature on Winchester Road near the Crystal Lake Reservoir. The boys said it was about eight feet tall and covered with hair. And they saw it from a distance as it kind of milled around before disappearing into the woods. Well, we know that Bigfoot does love that 60s, 70s vibe. It's true. Uh, from, from the sand dancing Bigfoot in the New York episode. So I feel like he's just, you know, you know it's 1972. He's, he's like, I'm himself. feeling good. Let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> we guys go dance after on this. Some sand. He's seen <laughs> near a reservoir. He's seen near a lake. Right. Uh, that might be why the boys said with such certainty, it was no bear. Why do they have southern accents? I don't know. Because <laughs> you know when those I southern see... Connecticut boys. <laughs> yeah. when, when when someone can state with certainty whether or not something's a bear, they're not from Connecticut. <laughs> okay. I feel like I no could, bear. but okay. <laughs> uh, it was two years later in September of 1974 when two couples parked by Rugbrook Reservoir. Yeah, I bet they were. Just about a mile over from that last setting. <laughs> Well, they went to the police and said, listen, we were parked over by the reservoir, which, you know, I imagine police were like, uh-huh. And what were you what were you doing over there? They said they were terrified by a six foot tall, 300 pound creature covered in dark colored hair. And the couples had fled immediately. Hmm. Subsequent searches by the police turned up no evidence. Wow. And that's what we... That's what we have on the Winstead Wild Man. I'm mo- I most tend to believe them because, like, why would they want to stop what yeah. they were doing and and go report to the police? I think they must have been scared by something. Fair. I'm also interested in in the timing of some of these because it seems like there are like there was a rash of them in like the 18 mm-hmm. 80s, 1890s in New York, and it seems like early 1900s there was a bunch here, and then there was a gap right into the the 70s 
And Which is also when like interest in alien phenomenon, things like that True. were really picking up post Roswell um, into the 70s and 80s. You know, maybe that plays into it. Maybe people are more open to things. Maybe they're seeing things more. Mm -hmm. Maybe they know it exists. And so they're thinking about it more. I don't know. I also wonder about like migratory patterns or like life cycles of whatever a creature could be. Um, yeah. I mean, if they have like a human-esque life cycle naturally you know who knows mm. what happens in the wild but um yeah it, that that could Maybe they have an sense. 80 year hibernation period i don't know <laughs> mm. um could could you give me um access to share screen there you go thank you you are the co-host now look at me look at me <laughs> <laughs> i really hope we're watching the first one where he comes out for a barbecue mm -hmm. no first i'll say this <laughs> uh -oh. first, off, first let me say let me just say this uh, um, mr skeptic boring is coming there haven't been apart from the wild man of winstead there haven't been a whole lot of nationally publicized sightings in connecticut but that doesn't mean that bigfoot researchers haven't taken an interest in the constitution state and mike young with the Connecticut Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, BFRO, BFRO, is running a Connecticut Bigfoot expedition on June 1 through 4 of this year. Ooh. So you, you, uh, can we, can we, do we have time to join? Listener, you unfortunately are hearing this after the event has happened, but oh, hopefully, yeah. but hopefully, yeah, like just happened, but hopefully Mike will be organizing more of those in the near future and hopefully we'll, we'll maybe get we'll some have results. some big news to share with you. Absolutely. Um, I did. I was interested in Mike Young, who's described as uh, kind of Connecticut's foremost Bigfoot expert. Um, and I found a. We were, at, we were at Paracon with like a Bigfoot expert. Was it Mike? I don't remember. I have to look into it. <laughs> well, I found a Beefro witness report that Mike uh, Mike Young did the commentary on, the investigation and commentary on. So I found this for you so we can get a, an inside look on uh, the process of Bigfoot research. Uh, and so follow-up investigation report by uh, BFRO investigator Mike Young. Witness was very credible, excellent description, and appeared honest. Connecticut investigators have had private investigations in the area, several Class A sightings in the vicinity. Uh, this is from a witness who said that they saw a Bigfoot cross in front of them on the road. Uh, they, they hit the brakes on their SUV and watched it go by. Mike says, I'm going to skip some of this. The Bigfoot disappeared in a few seconds after 40 yards movement. There was a stone wall. It could have jumped behind it. It crossed the road from the south. He heard it coming before he saw it. He stopped the car. It was only 10 feet in front of the car. It did not look at the car as it passed. It took two steps to cross the road. Only one foot touched the middle of the road. Whole event took about 20 seconds. Very long, quick strides. About eight to nine feet long stride. Noise was loud enough for him to stop his car. Saplings and trees moving. Hair color, dark brown, darker on head and shoulders, little lighter on legs and chest, thicker hair on head and shoulders. Head was not proportional to body, flat face, dark skin on face, short hair on head, rounded scalp, no visible ears. Oh. Mm. Face from side, mostly flat, eyes looked bigger, human eyes. Saw some whites of the eyes with dark irises, no noticeable cheeks or chin. Boy, everybody's a critic. Nope. <laughs> 
No noticeable forehead or brows because covered by some hair. No flowing hair on head as he ran. Hair looked neat and well kept. Neck. No visible neck because hair from head covered neck. No beard. (laughs) Shoulders. Massive. 36 to 40 inches. Extremely muscular shoulders. Very (laughs) rounded deltoids and shoulders. Okay, The Rock. Looked like a man. (laughs) Built like a male. No genitals visible. Chest broad, <laughs> and you could and tell, and you could tell a darn in there. Chest broad, <laughs> covered with hair. Waist V taper to mid-sized waist. Witness did not notice rib cage. He had a, a cut V. He had a V. Situation? Yeah, he had a wow. cut V. Wow. My word. Back extremely muscular, well-built trapezius, very healthy. Not fat shaming this Bigfoot. No, this guy's ribs. <laughs> Um, thigh, longer, thick hair there, did not see musculature. Buttocks, well-built, rounded. Nice. Okay, <laughs> asking the real question. No footprints noticed, but dust was stirred up as he stepped onto the gravel road. He's very, into, I, I mean, it, this must be from a, from a naturalist's perspective, I guess. Sure, they probably have like a standard template that they're putting, like, what did his ass look like? Very interested in the musculature of the of the Bigfoot. I'm just impressed that anyone having this experience could take all that in in that yes. way like i'd be so unnerved that i don't know that i would think to assess yeah what the is, buttocks what did his ass look like though <laughs> hey, can i ask you one more question i know this has been a uh, harrowing experience <laughs> what that ass do <laughs> um <laughs> Now, back in 2013, the Finding Bigfoot crew, that uh, popular television show, came to investigate Sasquatches here in the Constitution State. And they found, um, well, they, they they investigated a video clip that, to my eyes, looks a lot like a um, black bear kind of moving away from the camera at a, at a distance. But I do recommend you go and support Finding Bigfoot, find that episode and and watch it. We won't take their thunder by investigating the actual uh, uh, potential Bigfoot clip here, but they did speak to some important witnesses, and I do want to get get uh, uh, some of this eyewitness testimony. Local color. Wow. Here in Connecticut, investigating the theory that Bigfoots migrate through here to get to better habitat in neighboring states. Damn. Because sightings in Connecticut are very rare. This has been one of our toughest trips yet. So while Cliff continues his investigation of the far northeast corner of the state, what's called a quiet zone, the rest of us are meeting with witnesses. Why is he alone? The code to where Bigfoots would be right now. I went and put my food down. I look out my kitchen window, and a guy was staring at my porch. He's <laughs> a guy standing right near the side of the tree. Something I've never seen. Before. We're seeing an excellent recreation. What that ass do? Scientific. That's where I locked eyes. 
So stand right right here. Right about to, a little more to the right. Tell me to stop raising my hand when I get to about the level of the eyes. Your hand is right there. Yeah, I'm going to get right there. That's a good 26, inches from the ground up to that porch. So that's another two, two and a half feet above me, which would put it nine feet. He was big. And it, like I say, you're a big guy, but big, big. I mean, this here thing looked like he could drag a car with one hand behind him, you know? Like how wide were the shoulders? And this once again, tell me when to stop. <laughs> this is specific scientific measuring. Are you flirting with me? I was gonna say a tasty morsel. It was just this is what happened. Oh my god, they're gonna kiss. Kiss. Kiss him. Watches here. I mean, I thought it might be possible, but talking to you, meeting you, I can now say. I bet someone I know has seen a Sasquatch. <laughs> no, I think you might be a little crazy, but if I haven't seen him myself... <laughs> well, now you know I'm not. No, you're not. You're a good guy. <laughs> they are. They're gonna kiss. No, you're not. I, you're I a good guy. I ship I, I, I ship them. I ship that wholeheartedly. And also, I've never heard a true upstate Connecticut accent. It's very much like a New York meets Chicago situation. <laughs> That's very perplexing, but I love it. I have, I also think it's important that we, we should normalize calling people tasty morsels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be sexual. Yeah, That's yeah, sexual. Just a vibe. Just a thing. Yeah. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. <laughs> the only thing if you make it a thing. Um, okay, I think I'm going to save our New Hampshire and our Massachusetts sightings for right after a break because it is important to pay bills around here. We just moved. Mm -hmm. Ugh. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. When last we left you, we had just gone through some of the, I would say, most terrifying and sobering mm. sightings of Bigfoots that Connecticut has seen uh, over the past 150 years. What do you think, Carrie? I think they were some of the sightings that have been seen. <laughs> <laughs> and we're here think... with Christina and Adam from New York Mystery Machine. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. I'm a big fan of the barbecue sighting, personally. Barbecuing with Bigfoot. Barbecuing with Bigfoot. That's the new Food Network. I'd watch that show. Subscribe. Yeah. He would he would know how to to cook game, right? Like everything yeah. would have like know. a berry sauce. I just imagine him Ooh. like correcting like the human every time. He goes, no, you're doing this. Mine. This gets on on it. Like a real Gordon Ramsay character. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, I often think advertising's lost its way in this uh, country, but I think back to the messing with Sasquatch. Jack Link's ads. I think those were. I think that was. Uh, that was a bright spot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about New Hampshire. 
I love this story I found from New Hampshire. Uh, This was in the Concord Monitor, and it's another more recent sighting. In 2011, a deering New Hampshire man named Scott Luca said that he'd been seeing a lot of larger-than-usual footprints around his 100-acre property. Were the Harlem Globetrotters visiting, or what are you uh, larger than usual footprints? Just a bunch of them, it seems. Yeah, uh, well, it's the hundred acre hundred acre property. Makes me think it had to be uh, Kanga is probably leaving some of those big footprints. Tigger mm-hmm. uh, with his tail bouncing around there. Rabbit has some pretty big feet. Hundred acre woods. Okay. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um. So Scott had been seeing these these big footprints around. And his method, his scientific method, was he took a pizza box. He left a closed pizza box with three slices left. Well, this is what? Okay. These methods, man. <laughs> <laughs> Super scientific. Is the Domino's method, as you would call it. Now, how did the New York... How, how, big, is, pizza... how big is he stop me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop me. Tell me, tell me when, when I have enough pizza slices. Tell me to stop. Um, I'm surprised. So... Pizza didn't come up in the New York Bigfoot uh, <laughs> no. investigations at all. Shocking. Not a, not not that not, not that I've seen. But uh, Scott Luca of Furries, Deer- yes. <laughs> uh, Scott thought that this was the, the his method. So he left a pizza box with three pieces of pizza, and his thinking was that only a Bigfoot would have the dexterity among animals. You know, only a Bigfoot would have the dexterity to open that pizza box. What about pizza rat? Well, pizza rat didn't have to get it out of a box. The the pizza was already Mm. ready to go for him. Okay. The next morning, when he came out, Scott said the box appeared undisturbed. But when he (gasps) opened it, inside, the pizza was gone. And instead, in the pizza's place, quote, Dookie? There was three (laughs) pizza-shaped rocks. They left me three rocks. Like, like we like this. Pizza-shaped rocks. Either that or he's doing like an Indiana Jones kind of switching the camp bag with the <laughs> idol situation. Like maybe he won't notice if it's like a kind of a pizza shaped rock. You know? I also love that they found a pizza shaped rock. Like they yes. three, three of them. That's impressive. And they must be triangular, right? Yeah. Like they're slice shaped rocks. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Could be square. They could be doing like grandma slices. It's not clear. <laughs> But but to uh, Luca, there was no other explanation for this, but some kind of a dexterous animal with thumbs was able to open that box and then had the had the malice of forethought. Malice. <laughs> the kind of forethought <laughs> to uh, to bring in these uh, uh, slice shaped rocks and and replace uh, what the man had left him and give him a little offering. I like it. Seem yeah. it seems on the up and up for Bigfoot. And that would agreed. And that wouldn't be all. For the Luca family, because in 2014, Scott's brother, Jim Luca, went to investigate some noises that were coming from the barn. This is on the same property. The animals were getting freaky. The cows are. The animals were getting freaky. I mean, they were freaking out. Not that they were getting. You're, ah, you're sick. Ah. Oh, oh I don't know. I, and the animals getting freaky. <laughs> the vibe was right. In the 60s, man. <laughs> 60s Bigfoot was there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Free love Bigfoot. <laughs> Free love is my favorite guy in the t-shirt. <laughs> uh, the animals were nervous, and Jim was looking around trying to figure out what could be causing uh, their consternation when he heard a low, guttural growl turned and saw what he described as a, the silhouette of an ape man loping off into the woods. 
loping. Yeah. Now Scott Luca, he of the pizza uh, uh, boy, <laughs> he also says when he was 12 years old on his father's farm in Bradford, nearby but not the same town, he watched a group of four Bigfoots rip the head off of a bull in one of their Ooh. fields. Ooh. And then as his father threatened them with a shotgun, the four Bigfoots <laughs> casually walked away. Casually. Casually. <laughs> Like, I don't go, know if they're go, go. like flipping him the bird over their shoulder or or what makes him think it was so casual. They're whistling. Oh, we know they love to whistle from our yeah, last good whistle. Yes. Yes. I also really love the the completely um polarized emotional states of of Bigfoot, right? Like it's either very chill and whistling and just like wants to hang out at the barbecue or ripping the heads Bigfoot off of rides. large animals. <laughs> Like white rage Bigfoot. There's no in between Bigfoot. There's not like the slightly timid but like warming up to you Bigfoot. There's no <laughs> angry but can be subdued Bigfoot. A little passive aggressive Bigfoot. Right. <laughs> Sarcastic Bigfoot. <laughs> he has the body type of the Incredible Hulk. So I think some people when they're coming up with a Bigfoot story would like him to act like the Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. But I think he's I think he's peaceful. Okay. I think he's just looking for pizza. Yeah. Truly. Are we yeah. all? Are we all? <laughs> Same. Same. At the end of the day. <laughs> um, in any case, in 2016, Tom Biscardi and his Searching for Bigfoot team came to investigate the claims of the Luca brothers. Um, this was after the Searching for Bigfoot boys had been involved in a few exposed hoaxes of their own. Mm. But regardless, from the Concord Monitor, and this is about uh, Biscardi. Holstered on his right hip was his firearm, a Ruger GP100 revolver. This is, I just want to take you through some of the tools of the trade for if you're Bigfoot hunting. (laughs) Okay. Twirling in the humid breeze at his left hip were two pinwheels, the colorful children's toys. The pinwheels along. Oh, yes, that's right. (laughs) Okay. Wait, I want to go around the room. What do you guys think the pinwheel could be for? Like hypnotism. (laughs) Interesting. Uh... I think that they're assuming Bigfoot is attracted to shiny objects, or they're hoping the light glints off it. These are yes, you guys are basically both kind of in the in the area. The pinwheels, along with chemically lighted glow sticks, are used as lures to attract the Bigfoot. The team reasons that Bigfoots are curious creatures who are likely to be intrigued by the glow in the night. I think the glow sticks really appeal to Bigfoot's um, rage and rave. Uh, yeah, it's like raving. Vibe. It's it's raving. He loves to dance. Yeah, we do yeah. know he loves to dance. Dun, 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 yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that's how it is. That's a great point. And, then, there, here's, and then there's the bait. Peanut butter and sardines. Okay, why didn't we go with the, the, the tried and true pizza method is what I want to know. Yeah, we that's <laughs> We know the pizza we works. We know the babe. pizza works. <laughs> well, it, you know what's interesting is they do seem to be going with these items for a similar reason to why Scott went with the pizza. Cause it okay. says peanut butter and sardines. It, in addition to being pungent, they're quote pungent treats that a Bigfoot may detect and stop mm. in front of a camera to eat. But the idea is also supposed to be that nothing without thumbs could open the sardine can or the peanut butter jar. So, so they're expecting it to smell it through the can. Yeah, uh, TJ Biscardi, who is Tom's son, spread a dollop of peanut butter on top of the jar and then closed the lid. He hoped to return to find it unscrewed and eaten, a sign that something with thumbs came along. Only twice have I ever seen that happen. Either a hobo was living out in the woods somewhere in the mountains, 
or a Bigfoot did it, he said. One or the other. It can't be anything else. This was either just a guy or it was (laughs) this one. It was Arthur Beckman again going on one of his walks. (laughs) Classic (laughs) Arthur. Um, just to put a post note on that, the uh, Finding Bigfoot team did not find anything on that occasion. It's ne- What do you mean? It's never found Bigfoot. No? They didn't find anything on that time, certainly. Okay. <laughs> and Hope the Springs writer... Eternal. Yes, well, certainly. Hope Springs Eternal. And the writer for the Concord Monitor does note that, quote, Lucas said they might have scared the animals away when they were firing guns recreationally in the yard earlier. Oh, my God. Don't shoot the Bigfoot. Um, don't like, oh, shoot anywhere a... at, at the Bigfoot. It's also first rule of hunt. I don't go hunting. I don't. I do. But I imagine the first rule of hunting is you don't start shooting the gun when you want the prey to come to you. Yeah, you right. don't pull a yeehaw. Right. <laughs> I, I loved it. firing them in the yard recreationally is recreationally. exactly the word. So, so yeah, that is like Yosemite Sam style. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, he had an important point he had to make, and there was no other way to emphasize it. Besides, <laughs> oh, um, all right, so that'll that'll do it, I think, for New Hampshire. I just wanted to get a couple of stories out about Massachusetts because there are a few areas. I also resent that finding Bigfoot clip where they say that maybe the Bigfoot is moving through Connecticut to find like a better place to go. Well, I, I resent that very much. Um, I think that the, honestly. To and I love Connecticut. I'll never move away from here. But but the to anyone who doesn't live here, it's just a highway. It's like New Jersey. <laughs> it's just a state that people hit on their way to Massachusetts or New York. Or New York. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, this helps us narrow down his his original habitat, not in Connecticut, because if he was from <laughs> there, he would be very pleased to stay. Yeah, that's true. That's a great point. You'd never see him on the road. You you would just see him eating a lobster roll, a buttered lobster right. roll. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is his pit stop for sure. Um, so Massachusetts, similar to, and I would say this about any of the Northeastern states, but the bigger they are, the more it's true. Certainly this is true of New York. Um, there are vast stretches of untamed wilderness in Massachusetts, largely on private lands, um, not usually part of like state parks and stuff. And, and lots of it relatively unspoiled by human presence. Some of that land is in the Berkshires. And this is from uh, this data is from newengland.com. On August 21st of 1983, the Berkshires saw one of its most famous Bigfoot sightings. When Eric Durant, 18 years old, and Frederick Parody. Guys, if you're going to try to pull a scam or something like don't be named Parody. Jimmy <laughs> <laughs> Goofball. Yeah. So Eric Durant, Frederick Parody and uh, and their two other friends, Jokes and Yucks. Uh, we're hanging out at an abandoned Boy Scout camp called Camp Eagle out on Felton Lake. Uh, so it was an abandoned area. There weren't that many people around. And the boys were just, they say, cooking chickens and steaks. Um, were, were they cracking a few underage beers out there in, in the woods? One yes, would imagine absolutely. I mean, the other thing is we already know that Bigfoot likes to r- make off with the chickens. So like. Right. And then you're going to do a steak and like he ripped the head off. Right. The bowl. Right, yeah, right. So you're like right. you're pre- you're preparing the favorite meal of Bigfoot and just doing the the, the work for him. Of course, he's gonna come. All it, you need to throw in is a pizza, and he's gonna just be at your campfire. Little peanut butter and sardines. It's a party. <laughs> it's truly asking for something to happen 
And as the boys were chowing down on their steaks, they heard strange rustling in the distance. Something big was in the trees. They moved about 100 yards. Uh, just Durant and Parody left their other two friends in the campsite. They moved about 100 yards away from the campsite before they saw the creature. They said, it stood on two legs, silhouetted on the trail in the moonlight, and it was huge. I don't scare easily, but it scared me. The boys ran back to the campsite, and then everybody piled into the car, and then they proceeded to drive around looking for this creature they had seen, presumably because the other two guys didn't believe them. And finally, they caught the beast in their headlights about an hour later. They said it was crouched in the bushes, but it appeared to be about six to seven feet tall total. It was covered in fur and had slightly elongated features. Like a, hey, Bigfoot, why the long face? You know, <laughs> hey, um, and long arms. So that's that kind of ape like ape like arm structure. Mm. Uh, six years later, in the same area of the range, another hiker would see a man-shaped creature covered in reddish fur moving aside rocks in a way that looked like he was, uh, the guy said, like he was searching for insects in the brush, like lifting up a rock, looking underneath it. And then the Bigfoot would take each stone and neatly stack it in a pile. Hmm. So those little cairns you see sometimes. You oh, know. that's Bigfoot. Yeah, it's Bigfoot, oh. looking for, it's Bigfoot looking for insects. Good to know. Yeah, it is. By the way, do we believe Bigfoot's subsisting on insects and berries? Like th- this guy needs some protein in his diet, right? He's huge. He's like, he likes I mean, especially, I mean, that, that, I mean, especially the ripped version that you portrayed in this. He needs a snack, though. I mean, I love popcorn. I can't live on it. I could try. But, uh, you know, you, you got to have a little snack sometimes. Yeah. Counterpoint, I have heard that the larger the animal, the more efficient they are in terms of their usage of caloric intake. Mm. And also think about an elephant. They're they're not carnivores, right? They're just eating some plants. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So maybe some insects. I don't know. I love it. Maybe, maybe elephants aren't ripped. <laughs> they're muscular. But then elephant, ripped, a ripped one. elephant would be. He had the V. <laughs> yeah, yeah but not all Bigfoots face. are ripped like that particular. Bigfoot. No, they're not. Right, especially in like... Connecticut, we've, we've got some fat ones apparently because uh, they're fat shamed. Yeah, so yeah. much that they have to wear big trousers in New York. Right. Right. Yeah, they I can't think be that's... proud of bodies. Yeah, exactly. Let them let them hang free. I feel like that's part <laughs> of why Bigfoot has such a friendly reputation is because he's kind of drawn chubby more often than he's drawn mm. scary. He's drawn like a guy who just wants to have a nice time. Like Bigfoot mm-hmm. might, uh, he would, he would love to eat a bowl of ice cream and a pizza with you. Um, yeah. I could be friends with him. Yeah. I would love to be friends with him. I love Bigfoot. <laughs> of course, sightings in the Berkshires region go, uh, all the way back to the early, uh, early settlement times. And in Great Barrington in 1765 was maybe the first recorded sighting when a group of explorers reported a human-sized or taller fur-covered wild man sleeping in the woods. Ooh. They came upon him. He stirred and they ran away. And that was about it. Um, <laughs> over a hundred years later in North Adams, Massachusetts in 1895, a town selectman's report of seeing an ape man. <laughs> Yep, was printed up in a local paper. And 1895 is like pretty close to when that Connecticut one happened, yeah. too. Yeah. Like a lot yeah. of local town government guys just spotting Bigfoots. Um, 
moving away from the Berkshires, there is another area of Massachusetts that is known for its preponderance of weird happenings. And this is where I am going to, we, we talked a little bit on the New York mystery machine episode about the links between Bigfoots and other weird phenomena, the kind mm-hmm. of alienness of it all, uh, the high strangeness that you see around Bigfoot areas. And you, you definitely see that in what is called Monsterland, an Ooh. area of Leominster State Forest in Worcester County. And also a Goosebumps book. Yes. <laughs> um, and I have quotations here from uh, Ronnie LeBlanc, a Worcester native and a Bigfoot hunter who has been featured on such programs as Finding Bigfoot and Paranormal Caught on Camera. And he has a lot of very specific, I always love when you talk to a Bigfoot expert and they really, it, it don't do, he doesn't do the thing of, well, some people say this and some people say that. I like a man who speaks with authority on Bigfoots, on something you couldn't possibly have, a, have authority about. Yeah. Um, so he says, so on the West Coast, they seem to be much larger than what people are seeing out here on the East Coast. Um, in Ohio and Pennsylvania, Bigfoots have more black fur and are smaller in stature, six feet or so. Where out West, they're almost nine feet tall, much larger than what was captured on the Patterson-Gimlin film in 1967. There are reports of different colors, so they might change color with the seasons, like where a rabbit's mm-hmm. going to change when it comes to snow in the wintertime, because there has been reports of white ones seen in the winter. Hmm. And he says that Monsterland, as this area of Leominster State Park is, is State Forest is called, is home to in kind of a Skinwalker Ranch way, Carrie, or a um, what's our Connecticut, or a Dudley Town kind of a way. Uh, there are yeah. ghost stories, there are UFO stories, there are local legends and folklore that that turn into sightings that people see. Um, and LeBlanc says before they put Samoset middle school there, there was a bunch of tracks that would connect to monster land that would go to the sand dunes where people would go partying and people would reported seeing strange things, shadow people, UFOs, strange beings, balls of light, you name it. There was one particular track I always used to avoid. It always had a very dark, ominous feeling to it. It would be a beautiful day and you'd look down this thing and it would look dark. And he is the one who said the thing I mentioned, which I does fascinate me a little bit about Bigfoot always disappearing at the end of the track in these stories. Mm-hmm. He says, as you dig deeper into Bigfoot, you start talking about cloaking and the fact that they can vanish before people's eyes. And these stories go back hundreds of years where all of a sudden a posse has this creature cornered and the tracks just disappear in open field like something just came and picked it up and took it away. Flying saucer. So all these stories start to intertwine and I started to go back and I went, shit, a lot of these people are talking about these similar encounters that I had. So there's a belief that Bigfoot could be alien or interdimensional. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. We, we... Oops, sorry. Um, no, no, go. Yeah, I mean, all of that stuff, uh, aliens and, and Bigfoot cryptids and ghosts. I mean, a lot of people say that sometimes it's just other dimensions bleeding into our own. And Another that's dimension? why. Yeah. Like parallel universe or parallel reality, just bleeding into our own. And we see these weird little blips, you know, kind of from these other places uh, accidentally because they're just sort of bleeding over. And maybe we bleed out over into theirs. We never know. Mm. Mm. Yeah, somewhere there's a bunch of Bigfoot 
running around getting very upset because we keep showing up with their barbecues and dancing right. on their beaches. They're like, what the hell? <laughs> exactly. And we follow them and they just disappear. Um, I kind of like that... that image in my head. Absolutely. I, I, I love it. And LeBlanc says uh, lots of balls, balls of light, uh, lights in the sky. Um, basically all the things that you associate with other kinds of high strangeness mm. like ghosts and, and aliens. But he specifically says that he was once out there with a psychic medium and the psychic medium told the group that like they all saw, saw a ball of light and then the psychic medium was like, that's a Sasquatch. Ooh. So, so and he didn't seem LeBlanc. Certainly the writer of this article doesn't know. And LeBlanc doesn't seem to know. But this psychic medium third hand. The ball of light us. was a Sasquatch. Yeah. So they're like maybe spiritual beings just as oh. much as they're physical beings. I don't know. Bigfoot mm. feels very spiritual, just like vibing with pizza and, you know, swaying by the water. I like the pizza becoming part of the lore. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I think it, it is officially canon. That if you want to see Bigfoot, you yeah, put out yeah. some pizza. Yes, I think so. Um, I think so. Is are there any? There was no mention of big nets. I feel like you would want a big net. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. I appreciate the sort of ritual aspect that it, that Bigfoot has. So, this replacing of pizza with pizza-shaped stones, this making of small cairns. You know, there's a a ritual aspect. You know. If we were to find these things in an archaeological excavation, we would immediately say they were cultic. Yeah. Yeah. And cultured. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this is why we shouldn't be shooting them. The Bigfoot. Do not I, don't shoot, shoot the Bigfoot. The Bigfoot. I think it's clear that the proud Bigfoot has a culture all its own. Let him be. Let him be. And stop fat shaming him. No, never. And you, you know what, Bigfoot? You don't got to wear pants if you don't want to, unless you're going yeah. back to school. Yeah, and please, then wear, then, please wear some pants. Yes. But if not, yes. just be. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> thank you. And thank you guys for coming on this episode of our of our podcast. Oh, uh, thanks for having us. us. Thanks for coming on ours. <laughs> oh, it was a blast. Um, we Listener, if you, um, again, this to me is part two and we we did some some references back to our previous conversation but if you haven't heard it yet certainly go listen to it now um because we had uh, just as great a time uh, over on adam and christina's show talking about uh new york bigfoots yeah make sure you go listen to the new york mystery machine adam and christina do you have anything you want to share about how people can find you social media all that fun stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we uh, we drop episodes every Monday wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that jazz. You can find us on the socials at NY Mystery Machine on uh, Instagram and Facebook and TikTok at NY Mysteries on Twitter. Um, if you if you're so inclined, you're like, wow, these people are great. We'd love to give them some money as well. Do after it. you give after you give Sean Carey your money, you, we have a Patreon uh, as well, uh, and our Patreon is Patreon.com/slash/NYMysteryMachine, and we also have fun T-shirts on BelowTheCollar.com/slash/NYMysteryMachine. Awesome! I love it. Well, thank you guys so much for last episode and for guesting on our episode. This was a lot of fun. Ton yeah. Of fun. yeah. Thanks for making it a tradition. Yeah, can't wait for next year. (laughs) Can't wait. All right, let's go. uh, Let's go order some pizza and catch some squatches. Can we actually though? (laughs) Yes, I'm starving. Ooh, pizza sounds good. It does sound good. Yeah, I might even put on some trousers. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert: He wasn't wearing trousers. 
24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Today, we're debuting a new news segment that I think will be a great addition. Folks, it's time for some good news for a change. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I'm not going to even um, put a sting in there because I think we should all we should just leave a, a moment of silence for the disbelief yes. we all have over uh, good news in this, uh, the year of our Lord, 2023. In this economy? No silence for Poe. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, I, I think that was enough. Yes, the skies over New England look like a scene from Dune. The air tastes like smoke. We have some UFO updates because, of course, we do. And Putin's still committing war crimes in Ukraine. But first, we wanted to celebrate something near and dear to our hearts and a good thing that happened while we were away in Italy. The Connecticut Senate voted 33 to 1 on May 25th to exonerate 12 people more than 370 years after being convicted of witchcraft in colonial America. Oh, fantastic. That's right. You may remember from our Connecticut Witch Trials episode that unlike Massachusetts, our state had never exonerated a single person convicted of the crime of witchcraft during our own witch trials. Well, no, Carrie, we still don't suffer a witch to live here in Connecticut. Thank you very much. Yes, but thanks to the hard work of the Connecticut Witch Trial Exoneration Project, which include includes friend of the show Beth Caruso, who wrote one of Windsor, The Untold Story of America's First Witch Hanging, we finally have exoneration for a dozen of the victims of the Connecticut Witch Trials, 11 of which were wrongfully hanged for their supposed crime. The decision came on the eve of the 376th anniversary of the first witch hanging ever in New England, that of Alice Young, the protagonist of Caruso's novel. My new personal enemy, State Senator Rob Sampson, was the one dissenting vote in the otherwise uh, overwhelming exoneration. Sampson said of his decision that he believed it was wrong to, quote, dictate what was right or wrong about periods in the past that we have no knowledge of. I don't want to see bills that rightfully or wrongfully attempt to paint America as a bad place with a bad history. What? I say I have plenty of knowledge saying Samson can suck it. Ever heard of slavery, Bobby? America has plenty of bad history, so get over yourself. Well, I think that kind of... Um I think that's exactly the sort of place he's coming from. Yeah. We're 
We're enemies now. The Connecticut Witch Trial Exoneration Project has stated of the exoneration, quote, we are grateful to descendants, advocates, historians, legislators of both parties, and not Rob Sampson, and many others who made this official resolution possible, and that they will continue to advocate for historical education and memorialization of the witch trial victims. The project hopes that, in addition to correcting past sins, this victory will help bring awareness to deadly witch hunts still happening in many parts of the world due to fear, misogyny, and superstition. Gee, wonder why some politicians would be against that concept. Well, fear, misogyny, and superstition are how you get into office. Congratulations to all those who fought so hard for so long to get these innocent people's names cleared. We here at the pod are super psyched that this actually happened. Yeah, and um, it probably shouldn't have taken as long as it did, but uh, it's nice when people actually go, yeah, this matters enough to <laughs> enough to do it. Absolutely. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary, and check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain't it scary. You can call us and leave a message at our Google voice number 203-666-5529. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We'll be forever grateful. We certainly will. And special thanks, as always, to our beloved top-tier patrons. Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, Maria Ferrante, Robin McCabe, Comfy Mike, Alex Nakutis, Ryan Regan, Christy Atchison, Kate Pope, Haley, Aussie Sean Downs, Ryan, Enrique, and Derek. We love you all very much. See you next Thursday. Show created by Sean and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. You can find Kyle at his YouTube channel, Music is a Verb. Although he has a second kid um, imminently on the way, so... Um, that channel hasn't been updated in a while, but it is very good. The content that's up there. <laughs> okay. Ain't it scary has been brought to you by killer podcasts and is a production of Longboy media. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast impact of influence, which for two years covered in depth, Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie and son, Paul, that story continues to evolve and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.